to be pretty discouraging. Maybe something awful happened in the past around those times. We just, we just can't get around it. And many around us are very discouraged. Many around us are very cynical. Many around us are very pessimistic. And if you're not discouraged now, chances are you will be sometime soon. But here's the good news today. Real, genuine encouragement and joy is found in Jesus Christ. We do not have to be discouraged today. Today, in 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul is writing with the sole purpose of bringing encouragement to the church in Thessalonica that was rather discouraged. So if you're discouraged, if you're down today, this is for you. And if you're not discouraged and you're not down today, this is for you too because you cannot be encouraged enough. Also, if you're not feeling discouraged today, this is for you in the future when you are. So a little background on 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica like he was in 1 Thessalonians, except weeks apart. Okay, so it it was a letter he wrote to them a few weeks later, and, and theologian Leon Morris describes this book pretty well. He says, in this letter, he carries on the work he began in the first, encouraging the faint-hearted, rebuking the slackers, dealing again with the return of the Lord. It is simply a second prescription for the same case made after discovering that some certain stubborn symptoms had not yielded to the first treatment. So Paul got the word from them within a matter of weeks when he wrote his first letter that some things had gotten worse that he had already addressed. And we'll actually see that in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 11. He makes mention of that a little bit. Um, But he needed to reiterate and drive home some things that they were not understanding or not taking to heart and applying. And it's notable though that Paul doesn't begin this letter by laying into them. Most would, right? If you write something to, to them, hey, you need to work on this, you need to focus on this more, and then they don't do it and you hear about it, you'd be like, all right, now we're getting down to business. It's not how he starts. The whole first chapter, he's trying to encourage them. And he does it because they're going through some really hard stuff. So he starts in chapter one with encouragement. He celebrates the victories first. So let's take a look. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Good verses one and two to begin with. It says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Starts out. He's saying, hey, be encouraged, Thessalonians. You are are his. Verse one, as, as a church and individually, he's telling them, you are God's. But he gets very specific. He says, you are in God our Father, which means that they are loved by God. They are God's beloved kids. But there's reverence and awe here. 
because he calls him God our Father. He is God. Who are we to belong to him, right? But yet he also mixes it, this reverence and awe with deep relationship. He's our father. We are sons and daughters of God. And he's telling them, hey, you need to enjoy the incredible privileges, rights, and relationship and love of the perfect Father, our heavenly Father. But it wasn't just for them individually. He says, God, our Father. So not, Paul's saying, not just my Father, not just your Father, Thessalonian believers, but our Father, anyone who is in Christ, anyone who believes, our Father. We are in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just in relationship with God as Father, He is our Lord as well. He's the one in charge. He's the one who calls the shots. But not like a cruel, harsh master, but rather as one who genuinely cares about us and cares about what's best for us. So who is their Lord and master? And if we're in Christ, who is our Lord and master? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one in charge. Jesus is the one in charge. But he's not just God, he is God, Jesus is God, but he's also our savior. He's the one who took our place on the cross. We just got done singing about this at length. He saved us from our sin. He gave us his perfect record for our filthy record. He endured the wrath of God that we deserved by dying on a cross. And he never leaves us and never forsakes us now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one day he will come back and make all things right. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse one is not a throwaway verse to just blow past. It's intensely encouraging. So church, be encouraged. If you are in Christ, you are his son or his daughter and you are saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are his. Then verse two, he proclaims a blessing over them based off of them being his. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying in verse one, You are his. But in verse two, he's saying, now experience that you are his. He's praying this blessing over them. So how do you do that? By the grace and peace of God. So Paul's praying this blessing for more and more grace and peace to be experienced in their lives. But he's also reminding them of the grace and peace that is already theirs through Christ. So I wanted to this morning together use this as an opportunity for us to also experience tangibly the grace and peace of God because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so I'm going to do that through communion. So if you would grab the juice and the bread under your seats with me, we'll get the bread out first. And so I just want to break these apart as we take the elements. So grace, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Paul's saying to them and to us in Christ today, don't forget the greatest grace. 
You didn't deserve for Jesus to willingly let his body, represented by the bread here, be beaten, torn, whipped, scraped, mangled for your sins and for your mistakes, but he did it anyway. This is truly amazing grace. Let's remember his amazing grace by taking the bread together. And then as we open the juice, we think of the peace of Christ. And a Greek scholar, Larry Pierce, defines peace as the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So he's saying that Jesus gave up his life and poured out his blood, represented by the juice here, not just so you would fear nothing from God and get no punishment. That's true, but it doesn't end there. Not just so you can experience the true joy and contentment of Christ always, but also so that you could be absolutely certain and assured of that salvation. So as we drink this, I want you to be encouraged by this. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, just as surely as you can feel the juice on your tongue, you can be assured that Jesus died for you. Let's take it together. Church, be encouraged. You are his. You are his because of the precious blood of Jesus. Next, we see in the text here in verse 3, he's saying to them, be encouraged because you are faithful. Verse 3, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Paul's encouraged by their faithfulness to God. Now, faith, according to Warren Wearsby, is trusting in the promises and power of God. Faith is trust. Trusting in the promises and power of God. And it says that their faith is flourishing. Flourishing means abounding, overflowing. You don't just trust in God's promises and power. It's increasing in strength and amount day by day. I think of growing up, uh, I lived next door to my grandparents And my grandma always had a huge garden. And I remember a couple years, pretty distinctly, where the tomatoes were just abounding. And so I'd just go out there and pick them and just eat them right there. And it wouldn't matter. Like, she wanted me to because they were going to go bad. They're just flourishing, right? This is what this is talking about. Vast amounts that bring great joy in the Thessalonians. This was their faith. This was their faithfulness. Their trust in God was flourishing and producing joy. It was overflowing. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you are faithfully following Christ, be encouraged as well. Now certainly, none of us in here are going, wow, we're perfect, right? We certainly have days that are subpar, me included. But if your heart and your lifestyle overall is one that is trusting God's promises and power, 
You, you may not even be feeling super excited and spiritually high right now, but if you are faithfully seeking the Lord as a response to his great love for you, be encouraged. But they weren't just faithful to the Lord. These Thessalonians were faithful to each other. Their love for each other was increasing. The Thessalonians really had this down because they already were excelling at this in 1 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10, he says to them, about brotherly love, you don't even need me to write to you because you yourselves are, were taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. And apparently they took him up on that. They're like, yeah, we're doing well on it. We're going to keep going and we're going to love each other even more. What a great church family to be part of. Just wish I could be transported back there and just experience that for a day, right? They weren't content with keeping the same level of love. It was, it was increasing constantly. But I, I want to just zoom forward to 2023 right here at Stonebridge Church and our church family. And I, I want to give you three pieces of evidence showing that we as a church body, if this is your church family, man, this God is doing the same thing amongst us. I just see the faithfulness to loving one another increasing. So I want to give you three evidences. The first one um, was from a Google review of someone who just came one weekend. So they said, a friend and I were in Boone to attend a wedding, and we decided we wanted to attend a church on Sunday morning. We checked out churches on Google and decided on Stonebridge Church. We're so glad we did. Warm and welcoming, praise band was awesome, as well as the pastor and his great message, we left feeling happy with our choice for Sunday worship. We all had a part in that. Incredible evidence of the love we have for one another that's being extended. Second piece of evidence, uh, Nick Harsh, who's on staff at Cornerstone with the Salt Company with the college kids over there, uh, gave a message on First uh, Thessalonians 5, and he, he preached this verse, verse 12, that we should give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And he gave that message, and there are still things happening today that people are doing in response to that message. So we got to get Nick back here, because <laughs> he was bringing it. Someone served communion to, to our D6 volunteers in response to that. They're like, oh, you know what? They don't, they're over there with the kids. By the way, there's been a lot of them over there lately, which is awesome. Praise God. So if you help with that, thank you. Um, but he was like, you know, they don't get communion. So I'm just going to bring it over to them and pray for them. And, and I, I know firsthand from a couple of them how much that meant to them. Um, really loved one another well. One connection group decided, hey, we're just going to write a bunch of encouragement notes to some of the elders and the staff. Another group wrote notes and left snacks for the, the sound and tech people. Whoa, sorry. But for the sound and tech people. In verse 3 here, it says to love one another. 
and your love for one another is increasing. And this is, this is what I'm seeing. And the third evidence, Cody Walker, why don't you stand up? I'm going to embarrass you. So Cody Walker just celebrated six months of being clean from drugs. Let's give Cody a hand. So Cody was in our Home for a While program over across the street. And he went through that program, did well, graduated. He's, he's got his own apartment. He stayed clean. And that definitely happened by Cody's hard work. But even Cody's hard work was enabled by the grace of God through the love of God through us. We played a part in that. He was just sharing about that at our group the other night at my house. So I could, I could keep going. But as, as a whole, we're loving each other well. And it's increasing. And it needs to increase more and more. Because I, I know that there are probably even some of us sitting here and we're like, I haven't really felt that or experienced that. Then we need to keep stepping it up. We need to keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep it up. But as a whole, we're loving each other well, and it's increasing, and it's worth noting, and it's worth celebrating. Be encouraged. As a church family, you are faithful to loving each other well. Next, in verse 4, Paul tells them to be encouraged because they are enduring. Verse 4, therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Notice they were going through not just persecutions, but also afflictions. They were being persecuted for following Christ. They were being mistreated. They were social outcasts, even physically beaten, and it's believed some of them even martyred, killed for their faith in Christ. And the Thessalonians were not just being persecuted, though. They were being afflicted as well. So generally, they were going through hard times. That's what affliction means. Thankfully, most of us cannot resonate with being persecuted much for our faith. I'm convinced that will not always be the case in America. But all of us can relate to going through hard times. All of us face discouragement and letdowns and bad days and bad news. We have friends and family members struggling, suffering, even passing away. But notice that the Thessalonians were not crushed by this double whammy of persecutions and afflictions. Quite the opposite. They were enduring through perseverance and faith. Their perseverance here. See, Paul was not only encouraged by their perseverance through the trials. Paul boasts about their endurance. Okay, So he's not like, yeah, you guys are just scraping by. Good job. He's like, no. Everyone he's talking to, he's going, have you heard about the Thessalonians? All that they're going through, but yet they are loving the Lord and each other so well. I cannot believe it. It's a work of God. It's incredible. Have you heard about that? About their perseverance? So again, I come to us as a church. We are persevering as a church. And here's how I know this. We're still here after a crazy pandemic 
and all of the different things that that brought about. And on top of that, morale amongst our elders and leaders of our ministries is at an all-time high. And I'm not just saying that. That is, that is 100% true. But you, if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and you are a follower of Christ and you're here this morning, you are persevering to some degree and here's how I know that. You're here. I know, I know that the devil works overtime to keep people from even sitting in these seats and I pray against that every Sunday morning. By God's grace, you jumped over the many obstacles to even attending church. And certainly, I, I don't know what you're facing right now, and I don't know how you're responding, but if you're going through it right now and you are clinging to Christ, be encouraged. But the Thessalonians here didn't just persevere, they had faith. The catalyst for endurance in following Christ is faith, it's trust in God. So he's telling them, be encouraged. You're still trusting God. Sure, it's hard to trust him. You're going through tons of really hard stuff, Thessalonians. And some days you probably just want to give up. But you're still hanging on. And I want to share a song with you here, or at least just a portion of a song with you that I ran into this week. And I want to share this with you because music strengthens faith, trust in God in a unique, special way. I mean, that is in part why we sing in our services. But I wanted to share this with you because I could imagine, as I heard this song, I could imagine the Thessalonians singing something very similar as they were going through this and clinging to the Lord. So let's, let's take a look. And if you want to look up the rest of it, the whole song is definitely worth the listen. It's called Just As Good by Chris Renzma and Ellie Holcomb. Check it out. So maybe this is you. Maybe, maybe you're discouraged. You're, you're feeling down. 
I, I love these lyrics. So let me just, let me just point some of these out. So, I, I, this is, so the Psalms, the whole book of Psalms in our Bible are actually songs. Okay, and, and the, the writers of the Psalms would often be wrestling with God, but they would go, no, but I trust you, Lord, but yet, but yet it feels like you're hiding, like that was in there. Did you, did you catch the light? He said, I've been here before, my heart feels so weak, got this weight upon my chest, and I can't stop forgetting that, God, you've never left, and you're right here with me. So he's trusting, but then he says, still I'm convinced you're hiding, But then he says, oh God, would you remind me that you're still as good as when I met you. You're still as kind. You're still the same God. I I just, I love that. This This is what you see in the Psalms. And I can imagine the Thessalonians crying out something similar but this is you if you if you trust the Lord but yet you feel like God is hiding but yet you're still clinging to God's goodness if that's you be encouraged because you're enduring you're persevering this is what it looks like it's not a clean cut you know everything's great I have a ton of faith all the time no sometimes it's just it's the faith of a mustard seed and that's all Jesus says you need you can move mountains. If that's you, be encouraged because you also are enduring. The next part in here, verses 5 through 10, Paul essentially says, be encouraged because God will fix it. See, it's natural when we're going through hard stuff and it's out of control, we, we want to just... Come in and fix it, right? Grab control and fix it. But that's the wrong approach. We don't have to fix it and we can't. God will fix it though. Look at this. Verses 5 through 10. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. How will God fix it when he returns? First, we see in this scripture that he will repay. It's easy to get caught up in the details of this section and miss Paul's whole point here. Remember, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians that even though they're being persecuted and even though they are suffering now, God will repay. He will bring justice. You can trust him to do that. Revenge is not yours to take, it's God's and he will do it. But look at how Paul is encouraging them in verses 5 through 10. 10. Verses 5 and 6, he's saying God will bring about right judgment or righteous judgment. Nothing's hidden from God. His judgment will be perfect. So he's saying be encouraged. You can trust God to repay perfectly. And in verse 7, he's basically going, hey, even though you're... They're laughing at you right now. I'm going to get the last laugh. 
This will take place, it says, verse 7, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. I'll get the last laugh. See, then the the Thessalonians were being afflicted. And now we are too in various ways as we walk through life. But do not be fooled. When Jesus returns, God will repay. So be encouraged because God will fix it one day. Hold on. Verses eight and nine, we see that God will repay completely and fully. When talking about repayment here, it's not just a repayment for the persecutors of the Thessalonians. It's a repayment for all sin against God. And that may make us a little squeamish as we look at these verses. Like, whoa, you you were just talking about people who are persecuting. Why are we now going to anyone who doesn't believe in God? This seems a bit extreme. But if God is not your father, if God is not your Lord and Savior because of the cross of Jesus, your sin must be punished. God doesn't play favorites. Someone's sin who is not paid, that is not paid for by the blood of Jesus will pay for it themselves when he returns. But why is verse 8? In verse 8 is God taking vengeance not only on persecutors but on everyone who is in their sin and not in Christ. Pastor Warren Wearsby had a great illustration that I want to share with you. He said a, a Christian doctor had tried to witness to a very moral woman who denied the need for salvation and the reality of future judgment. She said, God loves me too much to condemn me. I cannot believe that God would make such a place as a lake of fire. And the woman became ill. And the diagnosis was cancer. And an operation was necessary. I wonder if I should operate, the doctor said to her in the hospital room. I really love you too much to cut into you and give you pain. Doctor, said the patient. If you really loved me, you would do everything possible to save me. How can you permit this awful thing to remain in my body? And it was easy then for him to explain that, that what cancer is to the body, sin is to the world. And both must be dealt with radically and completely. Just as a physician cannot love health without hating disease and dealing with it, so God cannot love righteousness without hating sin and judging it. Let me put it like this. God will repay completely and fully because he must. Otherwise, he is not just. And if God is not just, God is not good. And if God is not good, he is not God. So, if you are not in Christ, I beg you, I plead with you, repent today. Turn away from your sin and trust in Christ. Make sure the phrase, God will repay, is an encouraging word instead of a frightening word to you. And if you desire to do this, let's talk afterwards. Don't let another day go by. But if you are in Christ, be encouraged because God will repay completely and fully. And that is great news. But I want to look at a, 
at verses 5 through 10 through a different lens. God will repay. He'll fix it that way, but he'll also bring relief. As I mentioned earlier, it's easier with all of this talk about vengeance and eternal destruction to miss Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians. So let's, let's look at these verses through a different lens and see how he encourages them, not just by promising them justice, but also by promising them relief from their suffering. Verse five, it is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Endurance through their suffering is evidence that they truly are in Christ. They will be accepted and welcomed into God's kingdom. See, while we all are guaranteed hardship following Jesus now, the payoff in heaven in Christ will be far better and it will be totally worth it. So be encouraged. Be encouraged because after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5.10. You jump down a little bit to verse 7. God will give us relief when Christ returns. This Greek word for relief has the idea of releasing tension in a bowstring. Think of it this way. What's so encouraging about Christ's return is not only that the arrows will stop coming at you of hardship and persecution and annoyances here on earth. Not only will you stop getting shot at with that bow and arrow, not only will the bleeding stop and you won't get hit anymore, but the bow and arrow won't even exist anymore. See, it's not just that God is going to fix it and take care of it so we don't have any more pain. It's, it's like, no, 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 no. We're going to be relieved from that. The tension from the bow is going to be released. And the bow is going to be destroyed. This is what it means that he's going to bring relief. In verse 10, it's not just relief through the absence of pain and suffering. It's relief through joy, through pleasure. And the joy and pleasure of glorifying Jesus and marveling at Jesus. I love that line. To be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Marveling at something is not just staring blankly at something and going, wow, holy, holy, that's cool. That's not marveling, all right? Some people have that view of heaven. That's not heaven. That's not what it's like, okay? When you are marveling at Christ, think of, I just want you to get in your head, the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen over the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen. Maybe it was over an ocean for you. Maybe it was over a cornfield. Maybe it was over the mountains, whatever it is. You have that in your head, right? See, when you experienced that, when you transport yourself back to that day, you were captivated and moved and filled with wonder and awe and you couldn't take your eyes off of it. This is what it will be like for us in heaven. We will see Jesus and we just can't take our eyes off of him because he's so beautiful and good. 
will just be in awe and wonder. And so Paul is saying, hey, Thessalonians, be encouraged because God will bring eternally satisfying relief. God will fix it and it will be better than you ever imagined. And lastly, verses 11 and 12, he tells them to be encouraged because God's not done with you here. Verse 11, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 11, in view of this, what is this? Everything he just said. In view of the fact that God is gonna fix it. He's gonna make everything right one day. But God's saying here now, it's not just a rain check though. God's not going, oh, it's just a rain check for me. You know, um, just hang in there. Life is hard. That's it. Good luck. See you later. That's, That's not it. Verse 11 and 12, God's telling the Thessalonians and us that God is not done with you. Verse 11, God will fulfill our desires to do good now. See, in a weary, discouraged, trial-filled world, God brings us encouragement by using us to bring encouragement, joy found in Christ to those around us in a variety of ways. God has unique, incredible things for you to do for him here. God is not done with you. And as you walk in them, he will bring about incredible encouragement for you and great honor for himself. Be encouraged. God is not done with you here. I love in Ephesians 2 where it talks about how in, by grace we have been saved through faith. And it's not by work so that no one can boast. right? But then he, he shifts in verse 10 and goes, because of that grace, I've got good works that I've prepared in advance for you to walk in. Same thing here. He's going, you know what? God is going to fulfill your every desire to do do good. God is not done with you here. So you may be here this morning and maybe you're just super, super discouraged. Maybe you've maybe even thought about taking your own life. And I just want you to hear from God today that he is not done with you. He absolutely has things that he wants you to do for him that will not just bring joy and life to those around you, but will to your own soul and heart. You are here for a reason. Don't give up because God has not given up on you. God is not done with you here. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. God has not given up on you, and he won't. I know, I know a lot of us can get discouraged pretty easily. It's a pretty discouraging world, and I began that way. I just want to encourage you to just keep coming back to Christ and his word. I prepared this message this week and was preaching to myself the whole time. Not that I'm super down discouraged, but I was a bit discouraged this week. 
And I was like, and God was like, well, I've got the text for you this week. So thank you for the opportunity to give this message in order to, to preach to my own soul. But I hope it can help your own soul as well. But I, I say all of that to just encourage you. When you are discouraged, don't leave your Bible on your nightstand. Pick it up. God wants to encourage you in so many ways. Just listen to him. Put yourself in a position to listen to him, even if you don't feel like it. And God will richly bless you and encourage your soul like he did mine this week. Let's pray. God, I'm just so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for your encouragement. I'm grateful for all the different sources of encouragement that we have in Christ that we saw in this passage this morning. And I, I just pray that you would give us the spiritual eyes to see it. I pray that we would continue to be a church and a people and individuals that are known for our endurance, that would be known for our faith. And on days when we just have very little faith where we have very little trust in you God that we would still just cry out and cling to you and remember that you really are still just as good as when we met you Lord thank you for that Jesus in your name we pray amen